0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's Monday, start of a new week, and that also means it's time for Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melbiorg. We are here each Monday as well as Thursdays and Fridays at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern and on Sundays at noon. And joining me today, as he does typically uh, for the Monday show, is Fanrag's own Jim Finch. So, Jim, uh, thank you very much once again for joining me here.
1: Good to be back, Gal. I would have rather been here last week as opposed to taking a trip to the airport, but yeah, sometimes life duties call. So, you gotta uh, do what I hear you gotta
0: that. Do. I hear that. Yeah, maybe. Next time I have to go to the airport, uh, uh, I'll just do a show from there and it'll (laughs) maybe it'll (laughs) ease, ease some of the pain. But uh, well, g- glad to have you back. And uh, we got a lot uh, on tap for today. We've got uh, some performances from yesterday. Of course, that's what we've been doing lately uh, since the beginning of the spring training games is take a look back at some of the recent performances. We had three pitchers make uh, their first appearances after injury-riddled seasons in 2016. So we'll take a look at them. We have several standouts to look at. And uh, some other news items. And let's start with those. Not the hugest news item in terms of fantasy impact, but a little bit intriguing to me. The Reds designated Jumbo Diaz for assignment, and they did so to make room for Christian Walker. And I'll admit, I was a few days late on Christian Walker winding up with the Braves, but a very short stopover with the Braves uh, for Walker. Now with the Reds, where I think he's got actually a better chance, not a great chance, but a better chance, maybe they have a deep league impact this year. And Diaz uh, now, uh, of course, uh, off the 40-man roster. Uh, so not much, uh, really no impact there whatsoever. Albert Pools uh, is expected to make his Cactus League debut sometime this week. Uh, coming back from uh, the plantar fasciitis. And uh, you know, let's uh, get to some of those uh, injury comeback stories, Jim, that I referred to just a few minutes back. Matt Harvey, Garrett Richards, and Wade Davis, all three making their first appearances of the spring. Uh, Harvey and, and Richards, their first appearances against major league hitters in, in any venue uh, for for quite some time. Uh, Davis did come back uh, for a, a spell late last season uh, with the Royals before, of course, getting traded to the Cubs this off season. And not really very good outings for for any of them, unfortunately. So I'm sure we're all looking for reassuring signs from all three. Didn't really get them the first time out. Uh, Harvey, an inning and two-thirds. Four earned runs allowed. uh, No walks and three strikeouts. So I guess if you look for encouragement, it's there. But what takeaways, if any, Jim, do you have from this Harvey outing?
1: Just the fact that he's able to take the mound when everyone... At near the end of last season was pretty much predicting his career was over just that 's an accomplishment in itself. I mean, yeah, the results weren 't good four and runs and one and two thirds innings, but still he was able to pitch he had no problems, so as long as there are no other setbacks going in spring training it's just encouraging to see him out there overall
0: yeah I think that's the right perspective to put on this, and uh, you know as we both have said, and our colleague Greg Jewett also was saying on yesterday's show, you can't put too much stock in, into spring numbers, uh, whether it's just somebody coming back from injury or somebody, a pitcher maybe trying out something new in his arsenal, hitters, testing out new approaches. Uh, this, these are not normal conditions. So just the fact that Harvey was able to go out there and, and take the mound is, I agree, a very good sign. And same could be said for Garrett Richards, who did not have to undergo Tommy John surgery last year, uh, despite tearing his UCL, uh, had the uh, PRP treatment instead and uh, making his first appearance against uh, live major league hitters. He did have some uh, uh, games in instructional league late last year, so it's not his first time back on a mound since the tear, but two innings pitched, three earned runs allowed. And uh, a similar line to Harvey in that he didn't walk anybody, and he did get a couple of strikeouts. So same same take on Richards, or anything else uh, here that, that uh, impressed you?
1: Basically the same take. I mean, I put him below Harvey just for the fact that they don't have the same kind of pedigree. Harvey, if he does come back to 100%, you could have an ace there. Richards is more of a midline, middle of the rotation guy for your fantasy team, so... Yes, we're basically the same take. It's nice to see him out there, but don't put too much stock, like you said, trying new things out, just building up the endurance. So really, nothing, not much to read into it on him.
0: Yeah, and you know, no matter what Richards does, if he really has some spectacular outings this spring, I think I'm going to view him in a way a little bit similar to Masahiro Tanaka, who's also somebody that I talked about on the Sunday show, just because he has that tear and just concerns that you know maybe you know, maybe he will require the surgery at some point. So uh, not that I'll avoid him completely, but I I would definitely downgrade Richard somewhat for that. And granted, it seems like most owners have been doing that uh, in the early going uh, in in drafts this spring. And then Wade Davis, as I mentioned before, did pitch down the stretch for the Royals after his second of two DL stints uh, for a forearm strain and was, for the most part, pretty effective. During that time. So that's where I'll take my encouragement from Wade Davis. But this first out, he pretty, pretty rocky one. Threw 19 pitches, only 10 for strikes. And he did walk a batter. Only got one out. Gave up three hits. Uh, and uh, gave up uh, three runs. But that one out did come by way of strikeout. So not a whole lot to really be happy or excited about here with Wade Davis. But uh, this is something we could actually maybe circle back on when we talk about relievers later in the show, but where do you place uh, Wade Davis in terms of your reliever tiers?
1: Probably right now, I'd say right toward between the 10-15 range. I don't have my rankings right in front of me to look where I actually placed him, but he could actually wind up in the top five eventually if he is 100%. His outing wasn't great the other day, like you said, 19 pitches, but they were all fastballs. So he's still trying, he's still getting comfortable on the mound. The Cubs have a lot of talent in their uh, bullpen to where they can afford him the time to uh, play around, even have almost like a closer by committee to start the year, if need be. So, But eventually, I think he has this stuff to where he can be a top-line closer again.
0: Well, well, wait a second. So you're talking about a Joe Madden team maybe go, going closer by committee? That's. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be the first manager I would uh, think who who might go to that.
1: Um, not not really by committee, but maybe have somebody else in there just to spell him on occasion, because so he's not pitching on back to back days, just to slowly work him in. So not fully a committee, but just have an alternative in place, just so he's not pitching on back to back days for like the first month, yeah, and just work his way back in.
0: Yeah, no, I could definitely see that, and it, but I mean, I just you know. Having the name Joe Madden or having a Joe Madden team in the same phrase with closing by my committee—that's that—that's just caused me too many too many heartaches uh, over the years, uh, both with the Rays and with the Cubs. And it's you know it's a good point to raise, uh, like you said, whether it's just easing him back in or if Davis does struggle, Madden's got a lot of a lot of weapons in the arsenal there in in the bullpen. Incidentally, I do have the rankings in front of me. And in our composite rankings, Davis is just uh, tied for 10th. And those composite rankings, by the way, just went up today. So uh, we have now embarked upon our last position in our preseason draft guide. And so this is reliever week. And so collectively, we have Davis tied for 10th among relievers. But you, Jim, have him ranked 7th. And I actually have him ranked 4th. So somebody else... Brought him way down in the rankings. Whose yeah, initials that might would be, be Greg
1: Dewitt. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we'll uh I'll have to talk to Greg about that on, on next Sunday's show. But uh you know, I think that also goes to show that there's a lot of room for interpretation with Davis in terms of how much how much risk he actually does carry, but the I think the upside is is undeniable. So uh we saw the the bad side at least for this first outing. Uh, in other news, uh, Michael Brantley is going to be playing in his first sim game this year. Uh, so that's that's happening today, Monday. So he's working on trying to be ready by opening day. It's still not known whether that that is going to happen. And in other Indians news, Jason Kipnis is expected to make his Cactus League debut this Thursday. So we'll be watching for that because if there's any kind of uh, further delay with that. That's going to be disheartening for those of us who are either have drafted hipness or are looking to drop hipness, but so far so good on track to return on Thursday. Trevor Rosenthal. We talked about him on Sunday that uh, he has a lat injury, but he underwent an MRI and that showed no structural damage and he could return as soon as this Friday. So, that uh, competition for the fifth starter spot between Rosenthal, Michael Waka, and Luke Weaver—it's very much still on. And the other piece of news related to that: Luke Weaver is uh, scheduled to throw a bullpen session today, Monday, and reportedly his back feels great. So that's very good news if you uh, are hoping for Weaver to win that job, and uh, I personally am. So, uh, Jim, do you I'm have kind any, of torn any between fa- him and watching. yeah.
1: I said so, I'm kind of torn uh, between him and Watcha. I'm not sure. It's really a personal preference. Like, I want Watcha to win because I like his stuff coming up, but I also like everything that Weaver brings to the table. So I'm kind of torn on which one will win. I like them both. I'd be happy with either one on my fantasy team, but I have really no preference on that one. Well,
0: it does seem like Rosenthal is the one who's got the, the biggest hill to climb here. So... uh you know, I, I, I definitely do view it as between Walk and, and Weaver. And I'm rooting for Weaver because we've, we've seen Michael Waka even at his peak. And he's a very good starting pitcher. And I wish there were room for both of them in the, uh, in the Cardinals rotation. And I certainly would rather have either one than, than say, Mike Leake, uh from a fantasy perspective. But I do think that Weaver's got the greater uh, strikeout potential. And I like the fact that he's somebody who's uh, shown that he's able to, to pitch with control. Not that Waka is wild, but that's just not a way that he's really, um, you know, that he's really differentiated himself with uh, being a, a great control pitcher. So I, I like that combination for Weaver, but the, the place where he may fall short, aside from Jim, what you alluded to, just the relative lack of experience, is uh, he is a fly ball pitcher. He's going to be in a park that's going to help with that, but. As we've seen, Drew Smiley comes to mind. You know, extreme fly ball pitcher, but you put him in in Tropicana Field doesn't seem to make a difference. Hopefully, in Safeco Field, he'll he'll solve that problem. But Luke Weaver, I, I do think that's a potential uh, a potential issue for the, him there as well. So um, that uh, pretty much wraps up what we have uh, in terms of news for uh, for the show. But uh, we do have some spring performances to look at other than just uh, the three uh, pitchers that we talked about before, uh, Matt Harvey, Garrett Richards, and Wade Davis. So uh, we'll go to break soon, but uh, we can at least probably knock off maybe one or two of these players. Daniel Norris against the Phillies, really nice outing. Uh, Three innings, no runs allowed, only one hit, uh, two strikeouts and a walk. And And I'll be saying this over and over but not that we want to put stock in spring stats, much less spring stats from one performance. But it does build on a very nice 2016 from Daniel Norris. So how much stock do you put, not necessarily in this performance, but in what Daniel Norris did last year with the Tigers?
1: It's nice to see him building, continuing to build off of what he had last year. It does give some encouraging signs. It's, I'd need to see a few more spring training games run before I would uh, bump him up in any of the rankings, but... At least it does solidify his place where I have him now, and gives me a little hope. Nice, um, nice mid round possible, possible number three, possibly if he uh, continues on the track that he's on.
0: Yeah, and I, from any everything I've seen, whether it's just ADP data or some of the drafts that I've done to this point, it doesn't seem like you would have to draft Norris that early. But I, in terms of upside, I absolutely agree with that. And just to, to touch back on a point that I made on yesterday's show, because we discussed our um, starting pitcher wrap-up that was uh, up on FanRag uh, yesterday, and I was saying after I get my first two starters, I'm going for guys like Daniel Norris because they you may not have to draft them as number three pitcher, but I absolutely think that he has that potential. And if it doesn't pan out, you can probably get somebody on waivers to uh, you know who who may also have that that same potential. I think there's that much variability. In the pitching pool. So I'm going to let you sit with that thought, Jim, because we do have to go to break right now. But I'd like to get your thoughts since uh, you weren't on, on yesterday's show and get your thoughts on that approach to starting pitching when we come back from break. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melgier and I'm your host. And joining me today from FanRag Sports is Jim Finch. And up on FanRag Sports, we just completed our starting pitcher uh, preview as part of our draft guide. And then today we've got our top 45 composite rankings for relievers, uh, which is going to kick off reliever week in the draft guide. Uh, but, Jim, I'd like to just step back because, yeah, I didn't get to talk to you on the show at all last week. So we haven't really gotten to talk about starting pitchers at all. And I was talking just before the break. We were both talking about Daniel Norris, but I was saying Norris is typical of one of the types of pitchers I, I like to target this year. And that is somebody who you can get pretty late, who does have a lot of upside. But, of course, with that up upside is typical with the late round pitchers comes a lot of risk. That's why they're. They're not middle rounders. They're not early rounders. Uh, I think from, from what I read in your uh, part of our pitcher wrap, wrap up, uh, you have a little bit of a different approach. So what do you think about targeting uh, pitchers like uh, like a Daniel Norris at the expense of somebody who's who's just more kind of boring and dependable?
1: I'm kind of split on that. I mean, I like the boring and dependable. I my basic strategy is I like having at least a couple ace or ace like guys, something to build around, build a foundation around. The middle guys, I would like the boring and dependable guys, which is sort of why I fall back on like the Jerry Coles, the Sunny Greys, the Terrans, guys that will give you solid, dependable numbers. They're not going to be great. There's not maybe not much upside there, but there's. Just, a dependable floor that you can fall back on, so you're not really struggling with the middle portion. But when it comes to the bottom, guys, I'll anywhere after round 15, I'll throw darts at basically anything with a pulse that has the potential to do good. So, <laughs> I mean, I have no – I he's not being drafted that high, but someone like Marco Estrada, I – have nothing but loathing for the man but i will easily take a shot on him some of the younger pitchers i mean it's it's basically potluck at that point but i'm going for upside when it gets to late in the draft so while i do like the dependable and solid numbers from the boring guys i will take a lot of chances near the end of the draft just for a couple upside guys if some of them work out then hey i got a nice cheap ace out of it but if they don't it's back to the waiver wire and I can try picking up someone like a Luke Weaver who someone didn't draft.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, that that's, you know, that's why I'm really focused on upside. Now I did mention Estrada is somebody who is not necessarily super cheap and is definitely not somebody you think of as an upside type, but I think he's a value for where he goes in ADP because he does have, you, you may disagree with me. I think he does have a certain type of reliability in that, he's not going to give up a lot of hits on balls and play. He's probably going to be pretty good for whip if nothing else. And I think he'll get, get quite a few wins as well. Um, so I think for what he provides you, he's a value. Um, but I, I think we're, we're kind of on the same page from, from what you just said. And I should mention, yeah, he's someone, I'm sorry.
1: He's going yeah. outside like 200 for ADP. But the one thing that bothers me about him, while he is solid, and dependable, that fly ball rate just scares the hell out of me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, once you put a fly ball rate over forty five percent, I'm just I'm just holding my breath anytime the guy takes the mound.
0: Yeah, I've got a, a weird kind of fascination with those guys. Uh, not all of them, you know. Uh, I don't want anything to do with Hector Santiago. Just is one name that <laughs> it, it just you know kind of pushes me away upon hearing it. But um, because because it's that's the sort of thing that does put off a lot of owners and it's going to lower their value. So if there's something to compensate for those extreme fly ball tendencies, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take that risk. But, uh, you know, getting back to your initial point, Jim, that if it doesn't work out, whether, whether it's Hector Santiago, whether it's Daniel Norris, whoever it is, um, you, you can probably replace them pretty easily because there's always new pitchers with upside that are, are coming on the radar, you know, all the time throughout the season. Uh, and I was remiss, by the way, Jim, not to mention that in addition to our uh, uh, our fantasy guide where we uh, covered starting pitchers last week, you've been doing weekly pieces uh, on the, uh, uh, the, the draft plan. And uh, so your starting pitcher draft plan for 2017 is up on FanRag as well. So I would encourage people to to check that out because that really takes a lot of the elements of the draft guide and puts it together into one a one-stop shop. Is that fair to say?
1: Um. Yeah, basically I mean, I I should actually do this in the future before I do my rankings because you get a lot of insight when you're looking at the ADP of players and what they're actually capable of and seeing where people are reaching and where players are falling to and you get a better perspective of what could actually be out there as opposed to our rankings or your site rankings so it gives you a gives you a good idea for players so even if you're not going to read it it's something i would suggest that people actually do themselves
0: that no, makes sense yeah it's 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 great learning process so i absolutely agree agree with that but uh people should still check out your draft guide oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> your draft draft plan I should say. Uh, a few other uh performances from Sunday that stood out to me. Uh Nick Pavetta, not somebody I think that probably you're reading or hearing all that much about because the Phillies rotation is pretty well set and they've got so many interesting prospects. I've mean, had Liz Rocher who writes about the Phillies. I had her on the uh on the show last week. And we talked about probably seven or eight of the prospects. We never even got to Pavetta. Uh, but Pavetta had a nice outing against the Orioles. Three innings, two hits, no runs, no walks, and three strikeouts. And he's somebody who I could see, again, even though he's overlooked and overshadowed by a lot of the other big-name prospects. You know, Clay Buckholtz might be hard to imagine, but maybe he could go on the DL at some point. Just saying. Uh, you know, maybe... Uh, uh, Vince Velasquez just uh, isn't able to put it together. I think there's an opportunity for for one or two pitchers in that rotation to get hurt or to struggle, and I could see Pavetta being along with uh, Mark Appel. You know, the the next ones in line, or at least I think they should be. You know, it could be Jake Thompson or or you know somebody else, but um, I'd say I like Pavetta the best out of the number six starter options in Philadelphia. You have any thoughts, feelings? Things you um, want to share was, about Nick Pavella?
1: Yeah, he wasn't really on my radar until I started looking at his numbers. I mean, he's got decent strikeout numbers, shows overall good stuff. Uh, in 2015, he did have some walk issues, which does concern me. He did seem to get those under control sometime last year at AAA, so he could be a fifth option. The Phillies are rebuilding now, so they'll basically give anyone a shot and let them trying to work out the kinks at the majors, so... If he does show something at AAA and someone goes down, he could be an option over option over Jake Thompson if he's not doing anything in AAA. Yeah,
0: that's that's the way I I see it. You know, it's, and you mentioned the the control issues, but he you know perhaps he solved those, and uh, I say it's a name to tuck away, uh, especially in deeper leagues. Now, Greg Bird, somebody that you probably have been reading and hearing a lot about, having a really nice spring so far, and. Um, you know, we we downplay the importance of spring stats, but for somebody coming back from a shoulder injury, it's nice to see some production right away, and Bird is 6 for 13 with three home runs already.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the layoff kind of hurt him last year. I mean, that's him and guys like Mike Moustakis, people we had a lot of uh, hope for, just sort of went down the rankings, and a lot of people forgot about him. He's got a lot of power. He's got decent potential if he's got the strikeouts under control. I gotta remember he had a strikeout rate of almost thirty percent last year, so but then again they brought in Chris Carter, didn't they? The Yankees? Yes.
0: And so he's striking out a ton d- so far.
1: <laughs> you got two yeah. guys with a thirty percent strikeout rate so anything can happen over there. So it could be a platoon thing. If he shows a little bit more bat, maybe he can get uh show a little bit more. He could be fantasy relevant maybe in mixed leagues, possibly if he gets 400 and 450 at-bats, sort of like, a, um, as I'm blanking out here, first baseman for the Marlins. Uh, Justin Bour. Thank you. Yeah, I was <laughs> saying he could be like a Justin Bour type player getting 450 at-bats. Could be a nice sneaky play, but it all depends on how he comes around this spring and if he can lower that strikeout rate.
0: Yeah, now that's a big if, and, and the presence of Carter there, I think, doesn't give Bird a lot of room. Uh, to maneuver, but he's he's making the best of it so far, and it's still early. Um, staying in the AL East, somebody who doesn't strike out a lot is Hunsu Kim, but he's having a rough start so far. Uh, four for 19 with no extra base hits, and granted, power is not really his big thing. He's pretty much a, a ground ball hitter, but he's only walked once, and I know that, at least in some fantasy circles, Kim is somebody who's viewed as a, a nice sleeper because... He's an on-base guy who could bat leadoff for the Orioles. You know, bat lead off in a really nice lineup. But not getting it done so far. And meanwhile, Joey Rickard, somebody that he was battling for playing time a year ago in spring training, Rickard's off to a great start. And he's, he's kind of doing the Hunsu Kim thing. He's walked seven times already. And plus he's four for 12, and he has a home run. So uh, any thoughts on, on Hunsu Kim and his sleeper status?
1: Uh, not this early. I mean, the outfield's full. You got Adam Jones, Mark Trumbo, Michael Bourne, who better real-life player than a fantasy player, but he's still going to take a spot out there. There's really no place for him in the infield. So, as a bench bat, I'm not even considering him unless he's got any type, any uh, chance at full-time at bats.
0: I'd say I would I would think he would have a good chance at that. Um, but, you know, the fact that you're you know, you're questioning it and that's kind of the point I'm trying to make is that I don't I don't think it's a done deal for Kim. And, you know, there are some other options and it, it's just sort of deja vu all over again, because when he was well, signed. Where exactly, let, would
1: you, where exactly would you see him playing in Baltimore?
0: Um, I, I mean, in one of the corners, I think left field. You know, because uh, I think that's very much up for grabs. I would assume Seth Smith will be in right and uh, Trumbo DH.
1: Jones left and...
0: Or Jones in center.
1: Or Jones is Oh, yeah, either or between him and Bourne. But I think Bourne would probably make a better center fielder, but we'll see what happens.
0: I'll, I'll double check. I think Bourne is hurt, but even a healthy Michael Bourne... I think it's it's probably past the point it's, where we would assume it's a finger a injury game. with
1: born so I don't put much stock into this as far as the regular season goes
0: right right and looking you know thinking long term so uh but you know we've thrown a lot of names there and uh I I think in a lot of circles that Kim is the presumed starter and and that's maybe not necessarily the case but uh again very early there and uh, I'd like to just take uh, a look at some other recent performances, besides the ones we just mentioned. We do have to go to break. So we're going to take a look at there's some FX data that's actually available in spring training. And a few players had some notable performances yesterday. We can actually dig into the, the pitch FX data. So we'll take a look at that and also take a look at what happened yesterday in the NL labor draft. Uh, Greg and I, Reviewed the AL Labor Draft. Some interesting prices there. I think the same was true with the NL version. We will talk about all this after the break. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And with me today, also from FanRag, is Jim Finch. Jim, we've been breaking down some of the spring performances and we focused on a lot of uh, sort of lower end players or deep league players in the previous segment. You know, talking about the Orioles outfield situation, you know, the, the players who are sort of on the fringe of it. Nick Pavetta, who probably won't break camp, but uh, there are a number of players who uh, hold a, a bit of a higher profile. Who uh, had some interesting performances uh, over the weekend as well, wow. and one of the really cool things uh, that's out there now that uh, a few years back you wouldn't have been able to get access to is the pitch FX data. Um, of course, not only just available uh, to measure more process-oriented stats for pitchers, you know things uh, like like velocity, but also uh, movement uh, stats and. and uh, how often pitchers uh, are grooving pitches and all kinds of uh, uh, process-oriented stats for pitchers and for hitters. Uh, But those are available in selected venues, selected games now for spring training. And uh, they might be able to shed light on some things. Because if if we just go by the the kind of surface stats, the fantasy stats in spring training, not a whole lot you could tell in most cases from those. But Felix Hernandez... He's got to be somebody that a lot of people are watching very carefully after a very disappointing 2016. And if you look at the surface stats, Jim, for uh, Felix's performance against the A's yesterday, looks great. Three innings pitched. uh, Now, he did allow two runs, but five strikeouts with no walks over those three innings against the A's. So nice job there. But one of the things that you can uh, see from the pitch FX data, which, by the way, I got from uh, Brooks Baseball, so need to give them the the credit uh, that they deserve on this um he was throwing the sinker an average of 92.2 miles an hour so that's up uh pretty notably from from a year ago so is that something that you find encouraging or do you or or is there where are you at with felix do you need encouragement do you not need encouragement what where, where are you at with him
1: um i I'd need a little encouragement, I mean, yeah, it's nice to see the one pitch up. The fastball is the one thing that I'm concerned about because you got to look at that's been going down pretty much consistently since two thousand and eight It's just been ticking lower and lower to almost ninety point five miles an hour last year, so that's one of my problems with his. The other problem, which from his first game, it looks like a good sign he had major walk issues last year, so even if he can rein just the walks in and keep the velocity, maybe get a little bit uh luck with a little bit better luck with the strand rate, he could be a nice bounce back. I don't think we're gonna see King Felix ever again, but as far down as he's being uh, pushed in some leagues, he would make a nice solid number three pitcher for where he's going.
0: Yeah, absolutely he would. And uh, I am watching what's going on with the sinker with him because I think that was a real problem pitch for him in particular last year. But like you say, if if we could just see evidence that he's – uh, curtailing the walks. That's great news. Now, not a ho- high profile player whatsoever. In fact, one that was almost completely off my radar until a few days ago is Chase DeJong. Uh, but the Mariners got him in the latest of their, uh, what is it, 37 trades this offseason, something like that. <laughs> I might, ex- <laughs> might exaggerate a little on that. But, uh, so he made an appearance in that same game against the A's. And, um, Kind of interesting I me, mean, not eye-popping numbers. He went two innings, did give up two runs, uh, a walk, a strikeout. Uh, only one run was earned, by the way, for DeJong. But here's the number that, that really popped out for me for him. Through 35 pitches in the outing, 24 strikes. And that's kind of been his thing at times in the minors, is really good control. In fact, the Mariners have acquired several AAA pitchers this offseason, and that seems to be the common link with all of them. Not a lot of strikeout pitchers, but really, really good control, like a Max Posey that they got from, uh, from the Braves uh, is one, another one that comes to mind. So uh, not, I'm not sure where the, the clear opening would be in that Mariners rotation. They've really built up some depth, but uh, DeJong is, is definitely a, a little bit on my deep league radar now. Now, um, getting back to to some players who, uh, are, are definitely on the mixed league radar, Jarrell cotton. Uh, he is throwing a sinker now, which he barely used last season. There was one start where he threw it more than I think once or twice. Um, he threw 52% sinkers against the Mariners on Sunday and, uh, I'm not sure that this is a good thing. There, there was a lot of a lot of hype, or there has been a lot of hype around Cotton, but uh, through 42 pitches, only two swings and misses, and none on the sinker, which you know typically is not really a great swing and miss pitch. So, is this something that concerns you at all for Cotton? Maybe not this one game, but if this is a trend throughout the sp- spring where uh, Cotton's not getting swings and misses, do you downgrade him because of that?
1: If it's a trend, yeah, but what I find encouraging is he is adding another pitch to his arsenal, and any time a pitcher brings something new into the league that anyone hasn't seen, it kind of throws batters off balance. They're used to seeing like a 50% fastball from him with a mix-in of change and uh, changes and curves, so having an extra offer in there, it could be a benefit early on unless it doesn't turn out to be a positive pitch, in which case they're going to be sitting waiting on that one, so... It it could go either way. I mean, like I said, he has a surprise element, but if it's not a good pitch, then down the road, second time through the lineup, that's just going to hurt him. So maybe somebody you like, if he starts off hot, trade him for what you can get. That kind of deal.
0: Yeah. Well, how about another pitcher who's adding a pitch? Taiwan Walker threw 32% sliders on Sunday uh, against the White Sox. And... Just the opposite thing here. Slider's good, swing and miss pitch. Generally speaking, uh, over his two starts where he's been reemphasizing or emphasizing the slider, Walker has a nineteen percent whiff rate on the slider. Um, so that's really nice to see. Does this excite you or interest you?
1: Um, yeah, because I was already interested in Walker to begin the season. I mean, he's got a um, batter ball profile is pretty good. He's got he was already showing positive signs with the strikeouts. Uh, as I'm trying to pull up his numbers right there, he's uh, the walks have already been trending downward, so he's got that going for him. Another pitch really couldn't help him in the home park. He already got the advantage of already being in Seattle, so yeah. I'd definitely easily put him above Cotton. But in the opposite retrospect, he's not somebody I would look to trade away if he had a hot start. If he gets a hot start, I think that's something that he can carry through just from his pedigree and what we've seen from him to date.
0: Now, he had a good... Didn't he have a good spring last year? Do you recall? I should probably look that up before I, I say that, but I, I think it was last year. Maybe it's, it was a year before, uh, but I think it was last year, and that, of course, wound up being a very you know, up-and-down season, partially because of the foot injury for Walker. Well, I guess we can't yeah. really conclude anything from that. Well, let's uh, take a look at uh, his opposite number in that game. Ronaldo Lopez, of course, traded from the uh, the Nationals to the White Sox this offseason. Three innings pitched, just one run allowed. Three strikeouts, just one walk allowed. So that's a pretty good, you know, or at least it's a respectable walk ratio. And that's something that Lopez had problems with in his initial exposure to the majors last year. Um, through 64 Percent of his uh, four-seamers for strikes. Which, again, it's not a great ratio, but it's a good ratio. So uh, do you like uh, Lopez as a uh, potential sleeper this year?
1: He is, he is somebody I really never looked at. I mean, he hasn't really done much to date to where I would consider him a sleeper. He may be somebody after the draft. One of these guys that I may put on my watch list on the waiver wire to keep an eye on is, like I said, some of those guys you throw darts at, at the end, you don't know what's going to happen. You're looking for a hot arm off the uh, waiver wire. So I'd look at him in that respect, but nobody I would really consider drafting.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I'd see somebody you could definitely get on waivers in a lot of mixed leagues, but maybe a like a 15-team mixed league, a deeper mixed league. I think Possibly, he's the yeah, kind I'm of thinking...
1: guy... Normally when I talk, I just plant, I just stick to the standard 12-team leagues because that's what most right. people are. You get a few people that go in 15, but most leagues out there are 12-teams. few evil people join the 10-team leagues, which is way too much talent to be having a 10-team league. So, But I like 12-team leagues. That's what I base all my analysis off of, and I don't see him having much relevance there.
0: Yeah. No, I'd say not on draft day, but I, he's definitely somebody I, I like. To tuck away as a, a potential post-draft pickup. You know, especially if he if he cracks the rotation or when he gets called up and and you know he's doing well. I could actually see him being one of these guys who doesn't start in the majors but really turns it on in triple A and then generates a lot of hype at that point. So I just want to make sure I beat the rush, whatever that rush is on Renaldo Lopez. Um and, and again, so far so good for him this spring. So, well, let's uh, shift gears here, Jim, and and talk a little bit about uh, an auction that just happened, the labor auction uh, for the NL version. Were there any prices there that that caught your eye, that looked uh, like good bargain prices, or you were surprised how much uh, somebody in particular cost?
1: At first glance, just looking over them, Marcus Thames for $22. That just... I know it's a National League only, but that just seems like a lot to spend on a guy who's been out of the league for a while. I know he's got a lot of power, but we saw the last time he was in the league how much problem he had with uh, any kind of breaking pitches and strikeouts. And to spend that kind of money on that kind of uncertainty, I don't know, that just seems a little bit silly to me.
0: Yeah, and just to put in perspective, it's the same price that Brandon Belt went for, just a dollar less than Adrian Gonzalez. So, I have to agree with you there, um, that Greg sort of the way that these prices are distributed. I mean, there's a pretty big drop off not far after that. but um yeah, i'm I'm with you there. uh you know, maybe we can revisit this one with um with Greg next time he's on because I think he's maybe a little bit more of a Thames proponent than I am. uh, the one real quick before we go to break that uh, struck me Robert Robertzoman for ten dollars when Stephen Matz went for eleven. I admit, I do not understand the Giseleman hype. I think he's a nice, deep league guy, but it seems like in, in standard uh, mixed leagues, now this is not one of those, but even in standard mixed leagues, it seems like he's getting a little more interest than the numbers I think should should warrant. So any, any uh, agreement or disagreement on that?
1: Oh, I totally agree on that one. I was just glancing at some of the prices (laughs) on some of these players (laughs) on here. There's a few of them on there that I'm scratching my head on, but I'm sure we'll talk about that after the break.
0: Oh, we can. Yeah, Uh uh, we definitely want to talk a little bit about our reliever uh, draft guide. But I think we can make room to, to talk about one or two more of these guys. So come back, see who we talk about. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. I'm with Jim Bench from FanRag today. And uh, we've got uh, an action-packed show. And we're going to pack it with even more news. A couple of injury items that have just popped up in the last few minutes. Uh, David Dahl, of course, the Rockies outfielder. He's been diagnosed with a stress reaction in one of his ribs. And so he's going to have to wait two weeks uh, to be reevaluated. So not, uh, not a very good development there at all. Um, probably going to rule him out for opening day, I would think. That hurts. That hurts. That hurts a lot. You know, a lot of people are very excited about David Dahl this year. May not. Uh, I don't know that it will ruin his season, but I would think that it would make him, at the very least, make him maybe a little cheaper uh, on draft day. So definitely follow that story. And uh, another injury story, a little less uh, certainty on this one. All we know is Scott Casmir was lifted from his cactus Cactus league start today, but we do not know what the issue is just yet. So uh, a apparent injury for Scott Kamere. So a couple of stories there uh, definitely worth following. But uh, well, let's go back to the uh, NL labor draft, uh, Jim, because you were saying that there were some other, players with prices that you thought that were worth uh, talking about who you got
1: um same guy that drafted thames i got joe panic at 13 dollars i mean for a second baseman that will provide you batting average i i just don't see it i can i'd rather take a shot at a one dollar guy but for 13 dollars for that i for a batting average that doesn't that doesn't work for me
0: Yeah, I'm not a a big Panic fan either, and of course the the question's always, as compared to what, Uh, Logan Forsythe, who I like very much, maybe not quite the same batting average upside as Panic, but I I would expect a whole lot more power, and I would also expect a whole lot more in the runs category from Forsythe, since he's projected to be a Dodgers leadoff hitter. Uh, Forsythe went for $14, just $1 more than Panic, so... Uh, I have to agree comparatively that just doesn't really shake out for me, so I'd say good good call there um
1: and i don't i don't know if this was if this guy was bidding on future potential or whatever but conforto I love the player I love his potential, but they just have a manager that just doesn't seem to want to put him in the lineup or make room for him and as a fourth outfielder I don't know if I would have paid the $12 for him. I don't even know if I would have even bid on him. At least not no, and this and year, maybe in a Keeper Dynasty league.
0: Yeah, and in that only league, I have no problem bidding. And um, So he went for the same amount as Jason Hayward, so you could look at that and say, well, you know, Hayward, Hayward's value is very depressed. Uh, Nick Marcakis went $2 cheaper, 10 Uh I'm Just looking to see who might have been a little bit more expensive. I mean, I think when you, you, you're looking at... Bruce who was $4 possibly-
1: more. And Duval was three dollars
0: more. Yeah, Pence was three dollars more. So from that perspective, it 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 definitely doesn't uh, doesn't match up. Puig was a dollar more. So what what I'm seeing here is it seemed like that's kind of a tipping point there, right there twelve thirteen dollars. That seems to be the amount that separates getting a fairly proven producer versus uh, really taking a flyer. On somebody that you, you can't be sure of. Um, so I said Puig was thirteen, Jankowski was thirteen. So there's only really two or three dollars that separate those guys from the likes of uh, Pence. And I'm trying to remember some of the players you you mentioned. Um,
1: Bruce DeVal, Rory was fourteen.
0: Yeah, so that's a little odd. It, it, it does definitely has a little bit of the smell of some some panic picks there where. Uh, people were not as well stocked in the outfield as they'd hoped to be at that point in the auction and uh maybe maybe had to overpay, maybe had some, you know, had more money in the bank than other teams at that point. That's always a thing. That was something that Greg actually pointed out yesterday that you have to take in into account with uh, some of these values. But um, you know, while we're comparing in that mid-range, the one that really stood out for me was uh, Manny Margot at $15. And this is somebody who's barely played in the major leagues. I think you could probably count on him for steals, but I'm not sure you could count on him for for a whole lot else. There's there's some batting average upside there, but doesn't necessarily mean that he he'll fulfill it. So uh, that definitely you know seemed to be a part of the auction where uh, people were willing to to you know I guess take a chance and pay. I think if I could take a lesson from this, it's it's that if I get to a, a point where say at outfield tiers are, are running thin, um, to really be careful not to overspend unless unless I, I can really afford it. You Because know, I, suspect, I suspect that's what happened here.
1: I'm looking at his team and I don't really see much star power going from top to bottom, so I don't know where his money actually went. It just looks like he just overbid or bid just a few dollars more on some average players and wound up with <laughs> Mediocrity from top to bottom.
0: Yeah, that, that's an unsettling feeling when you leave an NL or an AL only draft. So many times I look at it, it's like, oh, this roster is just horrible, and you you forget that all, almost everybody's roster in those formats looks horrible <laughs> just because of the scarcity. So sometimes it's 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 a little you know, it's it's hard to judge. Yeah, you know, it's, it's sometimes True. you just sometimes you just have bad teams. So. Uh, well, we got just a uh, really few minutes left here, and I did want to spend a little bit of time talking about our draft guidance, specifically, this last installment of it, which is all about relievers. and we have the composite rankings up on Fanrag right now, but uh, not the individual ones. so people can't necessarily see where we had some some major disagreements. and one of the ones that I thought was was kind of interesting. Maybe not. I, don't know. I, I find it interesting is uh, the Phillies closer situation, because let's uh, take a look here uh, and see. OK, so Hector Naris, you have him ranked 20th. I have him ranked 37th. So I think this probably speaks for itself in terms of who we think is going to ultimately wind up with that job. Maybe not necessarily opening day, but in short order, I'm assuming you think that Naris is the Phillies closer. Is that right?
1: I don't know if he's going to start out as the closer, but I think after a few months of uh, Gomes in there, that he will eventually take over the job. I know Benoit's there. He's got the experience, but it's a rebuilding team. They're going to be looking to get someone established in there, and I think Neris is the first guy they're going to look to once they uh, go to make a move sometime around June, so... You may want if you're drafting for future saves and someone to have for the final four months, which is when it counts a lot more than the first couple. He would be the guy I would target. I'm going to target. I'm going to target the player's actual stuff over the saves.
0: Yeah, and that's what I typically do, except except this time, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I actually give, and again it's we have a track record here where um, Pete McCannon. Stuck with uh, uh, Jen Margomez for almost the entire season last year, and for most of the season, despite the fact that he's not a strikeout pitcher, that he's not uh, a Brad Ziegler who's going to give you a crazy number of ground balls, or or um, I mean, I tried Brandon Kinsler might be a good example, somebody who can can win just by limiting walks or win, not win, get saves. We don't care about wins here, but. Um, I just think that Gomez gets the job done by limiting soft contact and being just good enough as a bat misser and a control pitcher. Not that he's exceptional in either way, not that I would not that I would make the claim that he's skating on uh, thick ice here, that uh, Narris doesn't stand a chance, but in terms of, of just, to, to per, just to put it just to put perspective, Fernando Rodney got more votes in our balloting than gomez did so i seem to be on gomez island here in terms of uh, my support for him well uh unfortunately we don't have time to get to the other relief rankings but i do recommend that you go to FanRag and check out our composite rankings and, and uh, bookmark it so you can see the rest of the content that's coming out all week and jim i want to thank you so much for joining me today and look forward to speaking with you again next monday Everybody, stay tuned, please, for the rotation with Gary Thorne, uh, Gary and Thorne, and have a great, great day.